Tonight, we're talking about very practical ways to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And tonight, we're talking about food. I love food. And we're a little short on time, so I'm going to go a little faster through this than I want to, but we're going to take a look at some of my favorite foods. So, this is steak with bacon on it. I don't need to say any more than that, right? Uh, I once had a steak at Longhorn. My wife and I went on a date. I had a steak, and they said there was candied bourbon bacon that they were going to put on top of my steak. I said, yes, please, because bacon and steak and candy and bourbon all together, beautiful thing. God makes good things, right? So bacon and steak, I love it. It's a great combo. Um, Coffee, I mean, so I kid you not, tonight Kathleen that was helping with setup, she's like, is that your coffee in the hallway? I smelled it and it smelled really good. I assumed it was yours. Like, yeah, that's, you know me well, that's my coffee. Um, I've probably, have I told you the story about the cup of coffee that healed me? Have I told you that story? I was sick once, uh, was feeling a little down, went to a coffee shop, had a cup of coffee, and I could feel it healing my body because Jesus made coffee. I'm from Kansas City. One of my favorite places to go is Lamar's Donuts. This is a box full of glazed donuts from Lamar's Donuts. My wife and I moved here 15 years ago. There were no donut places in Iowa City. We were appalled. What is wrong with these Gentile sinners who do not have a donut shop? There was no donut shop in Iowa City 15 years ago. You had to drive to Cedar Rapids. I love a good donut. Hamburgers. I love a good hamburger. It seems like the easiest thing in the world to grill. I have been grilling my whole life, and this year, the year of our Lord, 2022, I finally discovered how to make a good hamburger patty at home on the charcoal grill. You make two patties, you put cheese in the middle, you put the two patties together and crimp the sides. Perfection. Nice and moist every time, and you can put anything in the middle. Jalapenos, cheese, whatever you want. I love food. There's more. <laughs> just, just take a whiff. Can't you smell these right now as I put that picture up on the screen? I think of going to the movies because I always got peach rings when I would go to the movies. I also think of my sister's bathroom growing up. For whatever reason, maybe her shampoo or whatever. But as soon as I show this picture, we can all smell, we can smell the peach, right? People have often asked, they know I love to read, they know I love to write as well. People have asked if I'm going to ever write a book, and I tell them it has already been written. (laughs) Food, a love story. This is by comedian Jim Gaffigan, and yes, if I were to write a book, this would be my memoir, Food, a Love Story. And because Jacob Varvel, who I believe is here tonight and will be serving us food, and he's our communications director, and because he thinks he's funny, he also made this version. (laughs) with my face. Thank you, Jacob. I love food. It's one of God's great gifts to us, but it's complicated, right? Relationship status with food, it's complicated. Our society has a complicated relationship with food, which we'll talk about in just a minute, but I have a complicated relationship with food because I love food too much. I've always had a great metabolism, so I can literally eat whatever I want and no one will ever know. So I have run to gluttony in times of of being down. I've run to food to control what's going on in my life. I've run to it for pleasure and distraction. And I've run to it in unhealthy ways. Our society, 
our society has a wrong view of food as well. Our society views food in a couple of different main ways. One, it's just for utility, right? It's just for eating. We are eating faster than we ever have before. Most families don't eat around the dinner table. We eat fast food. We eat on the go. We eat on the way to soccer practice. We eat in our cars. We eat as we're walking to class. We grab and go all the time. So we eat for utility just because we got to put something in our body. And sometimes that's necessary, but it's become a culture. It's become a way of life. Or it goes to the other end of the spectrum where it's hedonism, where it's how much food that's delicious can I get into my life? Can I get into my body? Our society also has a disordered view of food, and this is nothing new. Because of the fall, we have a disordered view of God and of his creation. Right? We have a disordered view of things that God creates for our good, but we take it and we do wrongly with it. We don't appreciate it and we eat it just for utility, or we start to worship it and use it, and then it leads to hedonism or just looking for pleasure. This goes back to the garden itself, right? Adam and Eve had other trees they could eat from, and God said, This one tree you cannot eat from, and they ended up eating. From that tree, we have a disordered relationship with food. But God has a great purpose for food and for meals. And He first off wants us to worship Him with it, and then He wants us to bless others with it as well. Would you pray with me as we ask Him to help us learn about this tonight? Father, thank you that you have made good things. Thank you that we can worship you with food. Thank you that you have given us food to remember. Christ, your body broken for us, your blood spilled on our behalf. God, we thank you for food, but God, we want to worship you with food. We want to bless others. God, we want to be hospitable with our stuff, with our food, with our time, with our resources as a church. God, we want to be hospitable to others. We want to share with others what you have generously provided. God, help us in our disordered view of what you have made. God, we desire to worship you with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, with all of our stuff, with all of our time, with all of our food. Show us how we may do that tonight from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. While we as humans in our society has a disordered view of food, God's word has a lot to say about food. God's word is not silent. About food. There are many examples. Once again, Adam and Eve had food in the garden. God provided manna from heaven for his people as he delivered them from the Egyptians and sent them through the desert. There are feasts, there are times of worship, there are times of celebration. God gave instructions even for making your field, sowing your field to the edges and then not reaping the edges so that the poor could come and glean from your abundance, which God had provided. The prodigal son story, the good father in the prodigal son story, he wants to celebrate the son's return and he wants to celebrate with the older son by putting on a meal. We see Jesus' first miracle at a wedding feast, turning the water to wine. We see Jesus feeding the thousands in multiple places in Scripture. The disciples aren't concerned about people's physical needs, but Jesus is. Jesus eats Passover even with those who would betray and deny him. Jesus restores Peter over a meal. 
Then in the New Testament, we see the New Testament writers give us instructions for how to handle food. And not only that, we're given instructions about how to handle controversies over food. We're given instructions for Jews and Gentiles worshiping and eating together. And then all of history culminates in the book of Revelation at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Bible has a lot to say about food, therefore God has a lot to say about food. Before we jump into the scripture in Matthew 9 tonight, we need to know a little bit about food in society in the first century. There was a place for food and there was a place for meals in the first century greater Roman world that is very foreign, unfortunately, to us and our Western modern sensibilities and eating on the go. Meals in the first century, in the culture that Jesus and the authors of scripture would have lived in and the church was birthed out of, saw meals as an intimate act. An intimate act with God and an intimate act with one another. Anthropologist anthropologist Mary Douglas studied meals throughout history and said, especially in the ancient Near East, meals represent boundary markers. They are used to mark the boundaries between different levels of intimacy and acceptance with other people. They are used to restore They are used to build bridges. They are used to extend forgiveness. They are used to welcome the stranger and those you don't know. They're used to be hospitable to those that are traveling through. This was the place of meals in the first century. It was an intimate act. You didn't just sit at Chipotle with your headphones in and look on your phone when you ate a meal. You connected with others. This is the context where we find this story of Jesus in Matthew 9. If you are not there yet, please open with me to Matthew chapter 9. We'll start in verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And Matthew rose and he followed him. So first we need to learn something about Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. We've talked a little bit about tax collectors here, but I want to draw this out a little bit more because it's, it's integral to what we're talking about here to, tonight and what Jesus and the Bible are saying tonight. Matthew was a tax collector. Tax collectors were looked down upon because they were Jews who were working for the Roman Empire and they were taxing their own people on behalf of Rome. So you can see how they would be looked down upon. But there were actually two kinds of tax collectors. There was the common tax collector that literally just collected the taxes and Jews just kind of didn't really love them. They may not get invited over for dinner, but they didn't hate them to the degree they did they hated the second kind of tax collector, which is the kind that Matthew was. There was a second type of tax collector that was called a customs tax collector. They taxed things that were traveling. So customs, like we are familiar with the tax on customs. They were the customs tax agents, meaning that they taxed Jews and Gentiles alike every time that they traveled, which was all the time. Because Jews had to travel to the temple to worship and offer an acceptable sacrifice to God. And these Jewish people were working on behalf of Rome and taxing the Jewish people on the way to worship. 
And then they were also taxing Gentiles as they would head into town as well. Meaning, in short, Matthew was the worst kind of tax collector. Let's continue on in the story. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Matthew, who this story is about, is writing this in Matthew 9, and he uses the word behold. We've talked about this word behold before here at church as we open up God's word. It is used to say stop and pay attention. That's what this word means. Other times when we have seen it, it's like John the Baptist saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's saying, behold, you need to pay attention to this Jesus because he's God. Here, Matthew uses this same term on purpose, very intentionally to say stop and take note We need to stop and take note that Jesus was reclining with tax collectors and sinners. And the reason that Matthew wants us to take note of that is because the people took note of it. It was a big deal. Jesus was eating with these kind of tax collectors, the Matthew kind of tax collectors, and other kinds of sinners as we see throughout scriptures. Matthew wants us to behold because the Pharisees beheld Look in verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The Pharisees, the religious law keepers, law watchers of the Jewish people, They took note of what Jesus was doing and they say to the disciples, why is Jesus doing this? He can't eat with tax collectors and sinners. He can't be a good Jew. He can't, definitely he can't be the Messiah because that's not the Messiah they had in mind. This definitely can't be the Messiah. It's not even a good Jewish practice what he's doing. It's interesting that they come to the disciples instead of Jesus. They come to to the disciples and ask their question, but because Jesus either has really good hearing or he knows all things, he hears what they're saying and he calls them to account. The first thing he says is those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus is telling us why he is eating with tax collectors and sinners. In fact, he's telling us why he came in the first place. He came for the sick. He came for the sinner. He came for the tax collector. He came for you and me. And not only that, he's dining with them. The most intimate thing you could do, especially with someone who was not like you. Then he tells them, go and learn what this means. This is just full of sarcasm and it's a little bit barbed. Because the Pharisees who claim to know the law perfectly, Jesus tells them, you need to go and learn something. You need to go and learn something from the law that you think you know so well. Because here's the thing, throughout that law and throughout the Old Testament, you will see God's heart for sinners like you and me. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He quotes the Old Testament. He reiterates that he has come to show mercy to people who are in need 
of mercy. He's come for sinners, tax collectors and sinners like you and me. Those that are sick spiritually, those that are marginalized by society, those that are looked down upon by the religious people, Jesus came for those kinds of people. Jesus here is living out what the scriptures teach throughout from beginning to end, and that is to truly worship God. You do not show partiality to people based on their status. We're going to talk about it on June 19th when we hit the end of James chapter 1, the beginning of James chapter 2. We're going to talk about what it means to not show partiality, but it's it's there in James, but it's also throughout Scripture, literally through every part of Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 1 says, you shall not show partiality in the house of God based on status. Proverbs 28 and 29, it's what they're entirely about. Not showing partiality based on status. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about this again. James 2 talks about it again. That you don't throw a feast and invite all your friends that look and act like you in the same socioeconomic status as you. You invite tax collectors and sinners and people that don't look like you. That don't think like you. That are from a different status than you. You save a place at the table for them. There's even a parable that Jesus tells about someone throwing a feast and everyone just ignores that this man is throwing a feast. And so he says, fine, go out and find the crippled, find the lame, find the poor, find the disease and bring them to my table. It's Jesus prophesying that this exactly will happen. That the religious people will want to have nothing to do with him, but the diseased and the sick and the tax collectors and sinners want to be with Jesus because he wants to be with them. This is the heart of Jesus and this is the heart of our God. Jesus is communicating through a meal, through hospitality, what he came to do. God is trying to communicate to us with food. A few quick ways and then we're going to make this very practical. God is communicating something via food. First, he's communicating reliance on him. We literally have to have food to sustain us. And in a culture where I can order Chipotle, I like Chipotle. Do you see a theme here? I can order Chipotle on my phone and I can go by and pick it up and not even have to talk to another human being. We can lose sight of the fact that God provides everything. That rice and that farm-raised chicken had to come from somewhere. Everything, we are so reliant, even to this day, on the providence of God. He literally gives us food to sustain us. It causes us to rely on him just like the Israelites relied on that manna coming up, falling down from heaven so that they would be provided for each day. God wants to provide that physical thing that we need because he wants to commune with us. Author Mike Wilkerson says that God's people grumbled because they didn't like the food he provided, but Jesus was just, or God was just inviting them to a meal. God wanted to have lunch with them and they just complained about what it tasted like. God wants to teach us reliance upon him. He also wants to teach us to worship him. 1 Corinthians 10.31 includes whether you eat or drink Or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Eating and drinking got two out of three places and everything else got thrown into the, oh, and everything else. 
we can worship God as we eat and drink, we're commanded to do so. I put this quote on the screen. It's way too big of a quote for a sermon, but it's so good and it's Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So I got to put it up here. This is fantastic. God will not tolerate the unfestive, joyless manner in which we eat our bread with sighs of groaning, with pompous, self-important busyness, or even with shame. Through the daily meal, God is calling us to rejoice and to celebrate into the midst of our working day. Man, we eat in an unfestive, joyless manner so often. God is calling us to something more. God supplies for us and we return worship to him. Psalm 63, 5 says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. He's given us communion, which we'll practice here tonight, where he's given us a physical reminder of what Christ has done, the bread and the cup. We celebrate and remember a number of things through communion. We remember what Christ has done. He says, do this in remembrance of me. We're told in 1 Corinthians in Paul's account of communion that on the very night Jesus was betrayed, he instituted the Lord's Supper. We remember that we have betrayed God and others, yet God offers his grace anyway. As we take communion together, we see we are united with something bigger than ourselves. And because we have guests from other churches here tonight, probably because of Aaron, they're not here for me, but they're here tonight, they'll take communion with us to see that we're attached to something even larger than Grace Community Church. He gives us communion to remember physically what Christ has done for us. He gives us food for relationship, for relationship, so we can build relationship with him and others. Relationally, we can have fellowship and celebration and restoration as we eat with others. We can have fellowship. We can enjoy that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it in the glory of God. We can do that with others. We can do that with others as we share a meal together. As we break bread together, we're going to share a meal after the service tonight. We can rejoice in what God has done and return praise to him as we eat together. It's also a time of celebrating what God has done, celebrating his provision for his people, celebrating what he's doing in our lives. It's also an incredible act of restoration. To invite someone for a meal, Jesus shows us that we don't just invite people to a meal that we agree with or even that we like. We invite people over and we share a meal with them to remind them and us of the good news of the gospel. And then God is communicating something via food in a prophetic gospel mission way. Before you freak out or think a lot of different things about the word prophetic, there's a lot of different understandings of what it means to speak prophetically, but they all have one thing in common. If something is prophetic... It calls for the kingdom. It calls for the kingdom. It says what the kingdom of God looks like, and it calls out for the kingdom of man to look more like the kingdom of God. When Jesus instructs us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's a prophetic call. That our earthly reality would match the kingdom of God. Meals are an incredibly prophetic act. 
where we can start to look more like the kingdom of God as we eat with people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. In Acts chapter 11, there's an accusation given against Peter. And in fact, it's in light of this accusation that he shares about the dream he has that the gospel should go to the Gentiles. And he is accused of eating with Gentiles. That's the accusation they bring to him, that he is eating with Gentiles. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? This man eats with tax collectors and sinners. Man, wouldn't it be great if we got accused of doing things just like Jesus did? Peter follows in Jesus' footsteps and he says, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. I'm going to eat with the uncircumcised. I'm going to eat with the Gentile because God's got a plan for more than just the Jews. It's a prophetic act. It says what the kingdom of God looks like. The resurrected Jesus ate food with other people. Doesn't that just blow your mind? Jesus, in his resurrected body, ate food and ate food with others. He restored others with food after he rose from the dead. Often we would rather sit at a fancy dinner with people that look like us, vote like us, think like us, than actually invite others to the table when we knowingly have disagreements. This is a prophetic act because the world seems incapable of doing it. We are more and more building echo chambers for our life and it is a deeply unchristian thing to do. We have an opportunity to expand our view and expand the world's view of what the kingdom of God looks like by eating with others, by inviting people to the table. Friends, we have talked about beginning with prayer, praying that the kingdom of God would come, praying that God would save some in our community. Then we've talked about listening well to other people. If we begin with praying for our friends and family, our neighborhood, our coworker, our community, our world, then we invite people into our home and we eat with them and then we listen well to them. Imagine what it can do for our world. We can literally change the world by having a sandwich with someone else. What an amazing task God has given us. Eating with people can be a powerful way of building relationship with them and showing people what the kingdom of God looks like. Have you experienced this? A good long meal with people you love where you take your time and you laugh and you enjoy your food. It's a little picture of the kingdom. As believers in Jesus, we need to build bigger tables in our life. Maybe physically. Maybe we need to think about how we've spatially arranged our home or even the kind of home we should buy so that we can have more people over. But we definitely, metaphorically, need to build bigger tables with our life. The word hospitality, which I haven't used a whole lot here tonight, but I've been talking about hospitality. The word hospitality in Greek, when we read it in the Bible, means a lover of strangers. What an incredible thing that a believer of Jesus could be called, a lover of strangers. It's great if we love one another well. We're going for that. 
That's one of the reasons we have meals. It's one of the reasons we have community groups. It's one of the reasons we like spending time together. But what an amazing thing if we would be known in our community and our world as lovers of strangers. What a countercultural prophetic act it would be if we became known as lovers of strangers. So what should we do in light of what we have seen from God's word here tonight? One, we should worship God through eating. What changes do you need to make in your life in order to worship God through your eating? I hate to even make a list because it's, it could be different for all of us, but how do we need to worship God through our eating? For some of us, it may be more careful about what we're putting into our bodies. For some of us, it may mean just slowing down. For some of us, it may mean eating more with others. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. What does that look like in your life? Second, this is incredibly practical, but support local food banks. There are people with food insecurity in our community. The University of Iowa started a food bank for students and they opened another one. There's one on both sides of the river. Because there was enough people with food insecurity, they probably looked affluent, they were attending classes, they were working out at the field house, but didn't have enough to eat. We can donate food as God generously supplies for us, we can supply for others. We can support Agape Cafe that happens in this room every Wednesday morning that feeds people every morning free made-to-order breakfast. It's better than the breakfast I eat at home, what they get here. It is awesome made-to-order breakfast. We can donate to them. We can serve tables with them. We can help out at their yearly fundraiser as we have multiple times. We can practically serve others through meeting their physical needs. Third, eat with others. You eat 21 meals a week, or you should. Not to be your dad, but breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Uh, You should be eating 21 meals a week. I want to challenge you to eat three meals a week with other people. I want to go further to challenge you to eat with three different kinds of people. One with a mentor, someone that's one step ahead of you in life, one life stage, one year of following Jesus, one day of following Jesus. Meet with someone that can invest in your life. Meet with a peer. Meet with a friend. I'm going to talk more about this when we talk about community groups for the coming year as we sign up in the fall. But did you know that it is a righteous, holy, perfectly great thing to do to just have fun eating with people? I think we get so intense and so intentional sometimes. Oh, I got to be discipling someone. I got to make sure someone's discipling me. That we forget to just slow down and eat a good meal with friends. This has been a huge weakness in my life. I have discredited what just being around people I love looks like. And I've tried to do more of that this year. I went to a concert and a movie this week. Praise the Lord. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, right? Spend time with people you love 
And then invest in someone else. Invite someone over that you can invest in. Invite someone over who you can share the good news with. Invite someone over who's struggling. Invite someone over who's a step behind in their life stage. Imagine what God could do as we intentionally worship him with our food, we generously share with others, and we intentionally use our eating time to bless others. We're going to do some very practical things in community groups and at church in the next year to put this into practice, but I encourage you to take personal initiative and just seek the Spirit to show you what he would have you do. As I close here and as we prepare for communion, I want to share what we read in our Passover Seder every year. A Passover Seder is just a meal you can do with others that celebrates the Passover, but includes some New Testament principles of Jesus and the cross, and you take communion during it. And there's an incredibly meaningful phrase that I want to leave you with tonight. In it, you read, they, meaning the Israelites, dined in haste. The Israelites, they ate the first Passover quickly, with their staff in their hands, with their belt around their waist, and on their feet. And they didn't have time to let their bread rise. That's why you have Jews eating kosher, unleavened bread to this day, to remember that their bread did not have time to rise. They didn't even have time to let it rise. They had a staff in their hands. They were standing on their feet. They had a belt around their waist. But today... Today, we recline at Christ's table. We recline at Christ's table because the kingdom has come and is is coming, so we don't have to eat in haste. We can worship God as we eat and as we bring about the kingdom, as we worship him and serve others through the way that we eat. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in the richest of foods. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Father, we come to you without money. And no means, no spiritual weight or riches to give to you. Jesus, we are the tax collector and sinner. And we come and we receive your grace here tonight. Thank you, Jesus, that you satisfy. Thank you, Jesus, that you offer to those who have betrayed you to dine with you. Thank you for your body broken and your blood spilled for us. On the very night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Please take and eat. And in the same way, he took the cup of the fruit of the vine and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant spilled for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Please take and drink. Jesus, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your offer of grace here tonight. Thank you for a night to worship you. We want to
continue to worship you with our night and with every part of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.